normally this is the place where I sit down and uh, <laughs> Josh comes up. Uh, but today, um, I'm going to just kind of guide us through a couple of things uh, as we're preparing really for what's going to happen in the next four weeks. Uh, because we have this series based on how God describes himself. It's found in Exodus 34. So I want to do a little uh, preparation work uh, based on what Josh did last week. I want to kind of pick up on that and, and move us forward a little bit. But by way of doing that, I need to ask a question. And I'm just going to come out here in the audience. So uh, I'm going to be probably not in the screen for um, the video. I need to know, Is anybody has a superhero that's their favorite? Do you have a favorite superhero? Do you have one, David? A favorite superhero? Efren, I know you do. Uh, Zorro. Zorro. There you go. <laughs> and, and why? Uh, it was the first Latino superhero. So, First Latino superhero. Jimmy, what are you thinking, man? You got a superhero? Uh, I got a lot of them, but uh, Iron Man's always been my, my favorite. Why? Because he's cool and he builds a lot of cool stuff. I'm, I'm coming. Yes, yes. Yeah, we are in church, you know, so it should be like some answer, you know. But what, who's your favorite superhero? My favorite superhero. Uh, this is going to sound like a real old geezer. That's okay. Uh, Billy Graham. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love you, man. I love you. Superheroes. You guys got one? Lay it on me. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Uh, superhero. He made, he, made he made me happy. He made you happy. <laughs> All right. What do you think, man? You got a favorite superhero? Yeah. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. And why? Yeah. He's cool. Yeah. What about him? It's okay. You did a good job telling me. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's cool. So, so you've got all these superheroes. Anybody else have one? They're just dying to share. Oh, 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 oh. What? Darren Ruddy have a favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Can't, spider. I love if, if you've ever watched Friends. You know, Phoebe kept calling him Spider-Man. <laughs> and I think it was Ross said he's not Jewish. It's Spider-Man, not Spider-Man. You know, so uh, so why uh, why Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, a true. <laughs> Okay, a, a, a big question for some of you uh, superhero fans. Uh, DC or Marvel? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. For those of you who have no idea what I just asked, that's DC Comics or Marvel Comics, you know, there's a whole galaxy of superheroes that, that go with them. You guys have one? What about it, Taylor? You got a superhero? Iron Man? Anybody else? Got another one? Rick? Grew up watching Superman. And why? Why would you like Superman? He's the first one I remember. That's good. So, you know, if we go through all... You have a superhero? Oh, man. I need to know. So what's your favorite superhero? Um, Captain America. Good ones. That's the best one. And why? Um, because he has a shield. And he's the best. He's the best. So we have prayer leaders around the room. Uh, we're going to pray. That's like, hey, that's the end of the sermon right there. Um, he has a shield, and he's the best. I like that. So when we think about superheroes, uh, all these images come to mind. And I know some of you are thinking, well, if, had he come to me, I would have mentioned some obscure superhero. I know some of you. 
you're thinking you're going to throw everybody off. And, but the thing that we really go to when we think about superheroes is their power, right? I mean, that's why we like them. That's why we uh, spend millions and billions of dollars uh, making these movies and watching these movies is because uh, we love the idea. We, we kind of want to watch, you know, these powers because, I mean, man, to fly like Superman, to shoot a web like Spider-Man, to, uh, to fight like Wonder Woman, uh, to have the tech and the, the skill of uh, Black Panther, and, you know, to swim like Aquaman. Every time I went swimming, I was Aquaman, right? Uh, you know, you have all these powers over the water and things. And, you know, but for today... In the clip we just watched a little while ago, you know, sometimes we can think of God as this big superhero. And I guess there's ways that that would be very appropriate. Because, after all, you want to talk about power. I mean, the ultimate power. And, in fact, if you read um, Exodus 15, this is the song that they sang. And I didn't write the whole thing, put it all up there. But, um, but these are just some of the words that we, we read, the lyrics of the song that they sang. Once the water kind of covered Pharaoh's army and they're standing there and they finally breathe again, right? I love that moment of, uh, you know, what just happened? And honestly, I'm not sure they really knew what was happening. Because up to this point, they'd spent... Uh, how many decades in slavery, and, and they had heard about this God, and then suddenly he shows up, and he shows up. I mean, there's plagues, and there's stuff going on. They're like, what's happening? And, and Moses is trying to interpret what's happening, but I'm not sure everybody gets it. And, and then they go, and they're released, and they're thinking this is the best day ever, and then Pharaoh comes over the hill, and they're like, this is the worst day ever, and then the fire comes up, and they're like, okay, I'm not sure what to think about that, and then the waters part, and they're like, Ooh. <laughs> I don't know about either, either of these directions. And, and so we read their response. And so it says that then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Uh, I'm going to have to write a song with a tune to this because I love these lyrics. I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. Both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. There's some power. The Lord is a warrior in verse 3. The Lord is his name. Verse 6, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy, and by the blast of your nostrils, in verse 8, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood like a wall. And so you get this image that they are blown away by God's power. And I guess in Exodus 15, when we get to this point, that's a, pretty much a lot of what they knew. In fact, I think there's the next slide, you know, somewhat of what they knew. He was the God of our ancestors, and we're supposed to keep praying to him, although nothing seems to be happening. Have you ever been in that place in your life? My mom and dad told me I need to put my faith in God, but hmm, nothing seems to be happening for me. But for them, he showed up, and he showed up with power. And then it reconnected them to this promise that, oh, wait, with him, there's this land, and we get this eternal place to live thanks to him. So, so the way that they knew God was, I think, a way that a lot of people know God. I need your power to save me. And I need you to get me into heaven one day. <laughs> and I've, I've met a lot of people that kind of have that as their theology. And, and that's, he's like a superhero sort of flying around, you know, and every now and then when things break, I cry to him and he might or might not come. And, and I think God is really wanting a lot more for us, from us. 
Um, and so I want to talk just a little bit about that this morning. Um, because when we read from Exodus 15 all the way through um, coming up to Exodus 34, we get this, like in 16, in chapter 16, they are convinced that he brought them out there to starve them to death. So do they understand God or not? Not really. If they think he brought them out there to kill them or let them die, then they don't really know. So what's God's response? Manna from heaven in the morning, quail come flying in, you know, three feet deep as far as... Um, there's some place in the Bible that talks about how much quail there was and how many miles you'd walk in each direction. I put that on our map, and it would cover the greater Memphis area. If you, if you do the, the, like, all the way up to Millington, down to our border, all the way out to uh, at least Cordova, maybe, if not Collierville, all the way to the river. That's a lot of quail because there's a lot of people. And so God provides for them, and he takes care of them. And then in 17, we're going to go thirsty. So God says to Moses, we'll strike the rock. And so he strikes a rock and water comes out. And we see, um, in fact, in 17 verse 7, we see them saying, is God, is the Lord among us or not? That's their question. And you would think after everything that he had done for them, all the displays of power, they would get that. But there's still a question in their mind. And then they come to Mount Sinai in, in chapter 17, and there's this awesome scene of God wanting them, as he says, I want you as my treasured possession. And so he lights up the mountain, it starts shaking, and he's talking with Moses, and there's all this stuff, and the people don't, really don't know what to do. Again, they don't know what to do with God. And he says, I want you to be my people. I want, I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. And there's this covenantal promise that he's giving them. And as Josh taught a few weeks back, if you remember the hoopah that we had up here, the Jewish wedding tent, you know, that that's the way God intended as he gave the law. And he would have them to be his people. I'll be your God. But it's not just a, hey, you just come right like you are because I think you got it figured out. But I want to teach you how to be my people. And so you see this uh, beautiful movement on God's part. And then we come to chapter 20, and you've got Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders go up on this mountain that God said nobody should come up on. They go up there. God didn't raise his hand to kill them. And in verse 11, it says, They ate and drank in the presence of the Lord. Wow. And so you see the, the presence of God wanting to settle in. Make a place to know when he walks into the children of Israel's living room, he has a place. There's no, uh, do I have a place to sit down here? But it's an obvious place among them. He wants to be among them. And then we come to chapter 32. Oh, man. And that's not a good chapter. There's nothing in that that's really good except for Moses saying, don't kill them. Right? That's about the only redeeming thing that we see on our side of it because they choose to um, I like Aaron's response when Moses comes down, like, what happened? Well, they gave me some gold, we threw it in the fire, and poof, out pops a golden calf. Go figure, kids these days. And it's this, like, we, we're, we're going to worship a, uh, an idol, and we're going to say that you brought us out of Egypt, and you're going to lead us on. And then they build this altar to the Lord, and they're worshiping both. And, well, some people don't make it out of that day alive. And there's a plague. That's the way 32 ends, is there's a plague that's released man so you see God kind of saying well I want you to be my people but 
You know, there, there has to be rules here. And there have to be things that we do to make this relationship work. And so we come to 33. And the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send who? An angel before you. Drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, Samsonites. And you've got all the, the people that live there that God's going to drive them up out. And he says in verse 3, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a, what is the word? Stiff-necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. Parents, can you relate to this statement? If I spend one more minute with this, these children of yours, right? I'm going to go in my car. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm not going to be back for a little while because if I spend one more minute, I might eat them. Uh, and so there's God just saying, I'm not going up. I, I will send an angel. I'm going to do what I promise, but my presence is not going up with you. And so they, they get all upset about this, and they take off their ornaments, and then we see this beautiful exchange between Moses and God as he meets with him in the tent of meeting. And he would talk to Moses as one would talk face-to-face -face with a friend. And so in this dialogue with Moses, we continue this, um, this back and forth between Moses and God about his people because God is not going to go up with them. And one of the things I wanted to highlight, the word stiff neck, um, it has nothing to do with chiropractic issues. Uh, this is kind of a, um, anybody work with horses? John French? I see you over there nodding your head. Um, if you've got a stiff necked horse... That means he's not going to do what you want it to do. And that's not very good because the whole goal, if you're riding a horse, is you need it for its speed and its power, but you need to be in control of where you go. And so it has to be a partnership, right? It's not necessarily dominance. The goal isn't to dominate the horse and humiliate it. It's to break it so that it can work in partnership with what you need. So God is saying, you guys are a stiff-necked people. You can put a bit in your mouth, and you're supposed to be able to turn this way and, and turn this way, and I go this way, and I turn. And that's the way it should work. But you're so stubborn. I can't turn you one way or another. And that's frustrating. And it's frustrating for both parties when it's supposed to be a partnership. When it's supposed to be... Now, it's obvious the one who's in control in a horse and a, and a rider situation. And so the rider is the one who trains and breaks... But the rider has zero uh, desire to take a horse and, and lean it, you know, so it'll run into a wall and then laugh at a horse, right? Let's, let's, let's turn it this way and run it off a cliff. It's, the goal is a partnership. The goal is to get somewhere and to do something together. And so you see this after chapter 15 in the song of how they knew God and all his power, power and, and the promise of a land. But what God wants to do is take these next days and months and years and a lifetime even to fill in the blank of how much I love you and how much I want to be with you. And so um, we have this in verse 14 of Exodus 33. The Lord replied. Now he had just finished saying, I will not go with you. Here, he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And what is the difference? What was the thing that changed between I'm not going with you and this? And it has something to do, I feel, with these verses in between. 
Um, in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. And this verse right here, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And remember, this nation is your people. More, more than, show me some more power. More than, remind me what heaven's going to look like one day. You know, remind me what our eternal home will look like for them. It was, will you teach me your ways? Because I want to know you. Parents, you ever feel like your kids only need you because of this? Hand is always out. Hey, I need this, I need this. And every now and then, and I remember my dad saying this to me before he'd give me money. Do you love me? Yeah. Okay. You know, I could just hear in his voice, like, you're so busy leading your life, and the only thing you need me for is, and fill in the blank. And sometimes I feel like all we need God for is that power in saving us at baptism, and can you give me the four-digit code to get into heaven? And I'll meet you there. And if something breaks, I'll call your name. But the rest of the life, I'm good with. And so God's presence, his love, his mercy is what he's wanting. And, and so I love... Um, this image of Moses just asking, before even he asks, now show me your glory, which is what uh, springboards the, the, where we're going to be for the next four weeks when God responds to that. But even before that is, teach me your ways. I want to know you. What a prayer, right? And there's a song that we sing, um, and it's called Be With Me, Lord. And we're going to sing this. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And, and I love the words of this song because it, it tells me, it expresses for me what I want to say to God. This is an old hymn. Um, I love it. Uh, in fact, one of our own over at White Station, uh, Leon Sanderson's dad is the one who arranged the music for this song. So, um, so this is one that has always meant a lot to me. But as you listen to these words, when Moses said, if you don't go up with us, We don't want to take one step without you. What's going to distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? It's you, God. It's your presence among us. And so that's our cry this morning. So I invite you to sing this song and then uh, ask Laura to come and and share at the table with us. And we'll just have that time together. May we just really be appreciative of God's presence, his gracious, glorious presence among us.